Okay, you finish this chorus with me. Winter, spring, summer, or fall, all I got to do is call. All, yeah, you've got to do is call. I'll get it right. And I'll be there, yeah, yeah, yeah. For you've got, some of you even tried to sing it there. You've, you've got a friend. Isn't it interesting? That song was written 45 years ago before some of you were born. All right, and yet most of us know the lyrics to it. A song written... Uh, by Carol King in 1971, she won a Grammy Award for writing the song. James Taylor, the same year, he won a Grammy Award for singing the song. Since then, everybody's recorded it, from Barbara Streisand to Michael Jackson, from Shania Twain to McFly. Uh, in fact, last year, James Taylor was asked to sing the song by the mayor of Paris after the terrorist attack, the heinous terrorist attack in that city. So wh what is it about this song? You've got a friend that, that so resonates with people. You know, if, if you're a follower of Christ and you're familiar with the Bible, you may know the answer to that question. See, the Bible teaches that we've been made in the image of God and that this God in whose image we've been made is a relational being. When, when I say relational, I mean he has eternally existed as Father, Son, and Spirit. He's three in one. He's the Holy Trinity, three persons in one God. Don't ask me to explain it. It's beyond our comprehension. But, but the Bible teaches that there is a deep love. There's a profound relationship between Father, Son, and Spirit. And so when this God makes people in his image, when he makes us just like him, he makes people who are wired for soul-satisfying relationships, people who crave community people who long for genuine friendship and write songs about it. Wesley Hill has written a recent book called Spiritual Friendship. Spiritual Friendship, good book. What he says in the book, what I and others like me are yearning for isn't just a weekly night out or a circle of people with whom to go on vacation. We need something more. We, we need people who know what time our plane lands, who will worry about us when we don't show up on time and the time we said we would. We need people we can call and tell the funny thing that happened in the hallway after class. We need the assurance that come hell or high water, a few people will stay with us, loving us in spite of our faults and caring for us when we're down. And more than that, we need people for whom we can care. See, so Wes Hill is describing true friendship. True friendship, the topic of a three-week series that we're beginning today. And we're, we're going to launch this series by learning some lessons about friendship from our number one role model, Jesus Christ. So if you brought a Bible with you, and I hope again that you'll make a practice of, you know, get, get yourself a Bible, bring it along, whether it's an electronic device or uh, one of these leather-bound editions. Turn with me to Mark chapter 3. Mark 3, we're going to be looking at three or four key Bible passages today. Maybe you've never thought in terms of uh, Jesus being able to teach you something about friendship. And, and yet, I want to say to you today, Jesus is the epitome of a best friend. Uh, Jesus himself used these words to describe the deepest level of friendship. This is John 15, verse 13. He said, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. That's the greatest test of friendship. Do, do you have somebody who would die for you? Jesus has already done that for his friends. 
So there's no better role model for friendship than Jesus Christ. And today, Jesus is going to teach us four essential building blocks of friendship. If you want a great friendship, okay, here's what you got to do. Number one, and by the way, there's an outline in your program. Take it out if you haven't begun to fill it out yet. Here's number one, four steps to great friendship. Number one, choose buds. Okay, buds is kind of my favorite word for good friends. We're about to look at a couple of verses that describe Jesus' selection of 12 men to be his closest friends. But first, I I want you to see what led up to Jesus' decision to choose these guys. Jesus was constantly surrounded by a crowd, a boatload of people who wanted a piece of his time and attention. So we're going to pick up the story in Mark chapter 3, verse 7. If you've got your own Bible, I want you to underline every reference... Every reference to large numbers of people. Okay? Verse 7, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake, and a large crowd from Galilee followed. When they heard about all he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, and the regions across the Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him. For he had healed many, so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. You you get the idea from those few verses. Jesus was always surrounded by lots of people. He, He had a wealth of contacts, just like most of us do. In fact, sociologists estimate that the average person has somewhere between 500 and 2,500 acquaintances. So we're talking co-workers, schoolmates, neighbors, extended family, community group members, golfing buddies, shopping buddies, uh, people we know from the gym or the book club or the PTO meetings, Facebook friends. But, but, but in reality, most of these people are not really friends with a capital F. They're, they're just people we kind of know. When it comes to friendship, our tendency is to be spread a mile wide and a, about a half inch deep. So Jesus faced a similar problem. What did he do about it? Okay, I want you to drop down a couple of verses from where we left off, and we're going to continue at verse 13. It says, so Jesus went up on a mountainside, and he called to him those he wanted, and they came to him, and he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out. Jesus chooses buds. Surrounded all the time by the crowd, he decides he's going to select 12 guys with whom to drill down into a deeper friendship. Now, please understand, this doesn't mean that Jesus, from this point on, he's going to ignore everybody else. Jesus still teaches masses of people. He still shares meals with large crowds. He still heals one person after another. So this isn't about being exclusive. In fact, let me say to you, if you're into friendship, but friendship for you means doing everything with your small circle, your peeps, everything from Bible studies to ball games. That's not following Jesus' example. Okay, Jesus was still available to others, but he made a decision. The decision was that he was going to drill down into the lives of 12 men. He was going to become best friends. In fact, if you've read the gospel accounts, you know that it it wasn't just... uh, You know, these 12, within the 12, Jesus had three closest companions, 
Peter, James, and John, and among those three, he had one best friend, John. Historians tell us that uh, this was really unusual in Jesus' day for a rabbi to choose followers like this because the typical rabbi waited for the followers to choose them. That's how it worked. It's much like uh, uh, what it is today for us. If you graduate from high school and you decide to go to college, uh, you choose your college. You don't wait for the college to you know, contact you and, and uh, say, we've chosen you. Unless you're a superstar athlete, then maybe they'll do that. But, you know, for the most part, we choose colleges. Colleges don't choose us. In, in Jesus' day, okay, rabbis didn't choose followers. Followers chose them. Jesus broke the pattern. Jesus chose 12 guys. And he gives us the first building block in doing this, gives us the first building block of friendship. Choose buds. At some point, you've got to determine that you're going to go from breadth to depth, from breadth to depth. Now, as we're following Jesus' example in this regard, let me point out, this is not a decision to be made flippantly. You don't write out the names of a bunch of acquaintances on pieces of paper and put them in a hat and pull out four or five that are going to become close buds. You don't scroll through the directory on your cell phone and pick out a few and place a call and say, would you like to be among my group of closest friends? I mean, you could do that, I suppose, but probably won't work. So We're talking about a decision that was made carefully and prayerfully on Jesus' part. Go back to, to Mark chapter 3. Look at the opening line of verse 13. It says, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted. Okay, he went up on a mountainside. Now that's a, that's a telltale remark on Mark's point part because Jesus often went away to the hills beside the, the Sea of Galilee, and when he went on a personal retreat up in the hills, what did he go there to do? Call out if you know. What did he do? Yeah, he went there to pray. He went, went there to talk things over with the Heavenly Father. In this case, he's about to make a big decision. Who are going to be his closest friends? No doubt he had gone to the hills, to the mountainside to pray. Now, Mark doesn't say that specifically, but Luke does. Luke tells this same story about Jesus choosing buds. And Luke 6, verse 12 and 13 put it this way. Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray, and he spent the night praying to God. And when morning came, he called his disciples. This was the large group of followers. Called them to him and chose 12 of them. So Jesus prayed. You know, in fact, he, he prayed all night about this decision that he was about to make. It would be worth our while if we're going to choose buds, if we're going to go from breadth to depth with a few people, to find a quiet place in our home or a corner of our favorite coffee shop and to get out a legal pad and a, a pen or a laptop with a blank screen and bow our heads and say, God, I want to go deeper with some friends. Yeah, I want some best buds. You show me who those people ought to be, and then you begin to make your list. Then you begin to make your list. One side note is you prayerfully make your list. For those of us who are Christ followers, you know, the Bible gives every indication that the best friends we can have are going to be fellow Christ followers. Now, now, this doesn't mean that we're not to have friends with, uh, among unbelievers. 
Even Jesus had a reputation for being a friend of sinners and tax collectors, right? But when it comes to our closest friends, our best buds, the people who are going to have an enormous influence on our lives, the Bible tells us that there are blessings associated with making friends of people who know God, who love Jesus, and there are dangers associated with us making our best friends people who don't. Yeah, I, I found this out again just recently, the, uh, you know, the blessing of having Christ-following friends in my life when I was facing some cancer surgery a month ago. You know, other friends, other friends dropped me texts and emails and made phone calls and they said, you know, hoping the best for you or think positive thoughts. I got that several times from people, think positive thoughts. But my Christ-following friends prayed like crazy. See, when you choose best buds who follow Jesus, you've got people who share godly values with you. You've got people who are going to pray for you. You've got people who are going to share encouragement and comfort and challenge from God's word. In fact, in this particular instance, one of my best buds, a guy who I've been close with since college, we were roommates for three out of our four years together, and he texted me about a a week before my surgery, uh, just a one-line text. He said, I'm on my face in prayer for you today. And I knew when John sent that to me, I, I, I know John, he, he meant literally. He was prostrate. He was uh, eaten rug. He was interceding for me before Almighty God in a humble position. And I thought that was pretty cool. And then the next day, I got almost the identical text, I'm on my face in prayer for you today. And the next day it was, I'm on my face in prayer for you today. I said, wow. So where, where do you find these God-connected friends? Well, if you're looking for a fishing pool of potential friends, let me say Christ Community Church is a great place to throw in your line. Okay, for, for starters, we try to make our weekend services as friendly an atmosphere as we possibly can. You know, we, we, we work hard at this because we want you to feel welcome, but we also want you to get to know the people around you from whom you'll probably choose some to go deeper, more significant friendship. Now, now, we've decided recently to work even harder at this because we've made an observation. Here's our observation. On a typical weekend across our four campuses, most people sit in the very same place. They always sit. Okay, in a general locale. Okay, maybe give or take a row if someone dares to come before you get to your seat and they take your seat. Yeah, you're laughing because you're really honked off when that happens, aren't you? Okay, but here's the other observation we've made. Even though we typically sit in pretty much the same general locale, the same zone, we still don't know the name of the guy who's three seats down from us. We still don't know anything about the family that parks right in front of us every week. And so here's what we're going to do about this. We're putting together what what we're calling a zone strategy. At each of our four campuses, we're going to divide our auditorium. This is coming in fall. We're going to divide our auditoriums into zones. There will be less zones in smaller auditoriums, more zones in a larger auditorium like the one in St. Charles. Okay, And every zone is going to have a volunteer zone host or leader or we don't know what title we'll give them. And their job will be to make that zone a welcoming, friendly place. Now, we haven't worked out all the details, but I'll tell you, we're so serious about this, we actually hired a person last week 
to oversee, to train, you know, recruit and train zone leaders. Some of you are thinking, I know some people who'd be a great zone leader. Well, you let, let us know, okay? If you know someone who can help us make Christ's community an even friendlier place. And just an aside here, I want to say thank you to those of you who are already serving as members of our traffic team or our ushers and greeters because you get people into our parking lots and through our front door and into the seat that they jealously protect every weekend, making them feel welcome. So thank you, but we're taking it to the next level. This fall, we're taking it to the next level. So, Fishing Pond, you know, weekend services is a great place to start, but don't stop there. I would encourage you, get yourself in a community group. And that, that means if you're a middle schooler, it's Genesis on Wednesday night, or a house group. If you're a, a high school person, uh, even though they tend to, uh, you know, not meet with that frequency over the summer, but, you know, these are the places where you're going to, I'm not suggesting that everybody in your group is going to be your best bud, but these are the places where you're going to find potential good friends. Number one, choose buds. Number two, here's the second lesson from Jesus. Hang out. I want you to go back to Mark 3. Let me reread verse 14 to you. It says, He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. Okay, so Jesus chooses 12 guys. He pulls them together in a huddle. He says, All right, men, here's your first assignment. Are you ready? Okay, your first assignment is to hang out with me. Okay, isn't that what the first part of verse 14 says? He appointed 12 that they might what? Say it with me. That they might be with him. Let's do that again. He appointed 12 that they might be with him. That they might be with him. That he might hang out. They might hang out with him. I was uh, reading through one of the gospel accounts recently and became aware of the fact that as we read these short biographies of Jesus in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all we really get about Jesus are the highlights of his life and ministry. And we, we get his most famous sermons, miracles, people encounters. But have you, you ever wondered what was going on between the highlights? I'll tell you what was going on. Jesus was hanging out with these 12 guys that he, he'd chosen. I mean, for, for one thing, everywhere they went together, as Jesus traveled from village to village to preach, everywhere they went had to be on foot. No trains, no buses. Some of the trips took several days. You know, their, their, their home region was the Sea of Galilee, but every time they went down to Jerusalem, it was a 70-mile hike. That meant they were camping out together. You know, evening would come, and they'd build a fire and make s'mores and swap stories. It means they were sharing meals constantly, talking, engaged with each other. So hanging out makes a significant contribution to friendship. I mentioned my roommate in college, John, a few minutes ago. Have you ever stopped to consider that some of the best friends we have in life are friends that we made back when we were in school, high school, college? It's probably true for many of us, isn't it? You know, why is that? Why, why are some of our best friendships, friendships that began back when we were in our, our late teens and early 20s? I think the reason is that's the last time in our live, lives we had expendable time. 
That's the last time we had hours, free, free time to just hang out. So now we're too busy. We're too busy. Those of us who are in our 30s, 40s, 50s, and beyond, our schedules are full. We don't have time for hanging out. We're too busy. You know, or we're too male. <laughs> David Smith is a sociologist who's written a book called Men Without Friends. Now, in his book, he suggests that women, from his studies, are much better friend makers than men. And to illustrate his point, he says, you know, if a woman calls another woman on the phone and says, uh, you know, do you want to do lunch? The response is usually, great, no questions asked. He says, if a guy calls another guy and says, you want to do lunch, what's the response? It's, uh, okay, what's up? See, we, there's got to be something up. There's got to be some agenda. There's got to be some reason other than, I just want to hang out. I just want to hang out. Hanging out. we got to make time to hang out. It's got to become a deliberate, intentional thing we do. Something we clear our schedule for. Time to hang out. Now, what do you do while you're hanging out? Let me suggest two activities to you when you're hanging out together. First is conversations. And I, I know this should be a no-brainer, but I got to tell you, we're living in a culture where the art of conversation is being lost. I was watching a commercial the other day working out at the gym, and an Xfinity commercial came on. I was on the elliptical machine, and I got so angry, I really pumped hard. I got my exercise that day. I'm watching this commercial. Okay, here's this family of four, mom, dad, brother, sister, and they're all on their individual electronic devices watching a show. Okay, so one of them's watching on TV, one of them's watching on a laptop, a couple of them are watching on, on tablets, and it's obvious they're having the time of their lives. This is really great. And then dad calls them to dinner, and they're sitting around the dinner table. What a bummer. It's so boring. Nobody's saying a word. Thankfully, the meal comes to an end, and everybody gets gets to go back to Xfinity where the real adventure in life is found. I said, yuck! Said it right out loud, right there in the gym. Everybody turned and wondered what was going on. Yuck! Are you kidding me? See, when, when we hang out with friends, if that means nothing more than watching a movie or going to a noisy basketball game or shopping till we drop or playing endless games, uh, video games, activities that don't allow for quality conversation. Our friendships aren't going anywhere. And there's, there's nothing wrong with the sorts of activities I just mentioned. You know, doing those things with friends, as long as we're, we're, we're making sure that it doesn't crowd out time to just talk. To talk. Uh, my father-in-law uh, has played bridge every week for years and years and years with three cronies. I think I've told you this before. They, uh, they arrive at his house, they walk in the door without a word being said, they hang up their coats, they sit down in the chair, chairs and they deal out the cards and they play. About the only time they say anything is you know, when, a, when they're scolding a partner who's made a stupid move. And, and, and so one day not too long ago, my wife Sue said to her dad, she said, you know, Dad, why don't you get Vicky, his housekeeper, why don't you get her to make a meal and invite the guys to come early and, uh, and talk with each other? And so my father-in-law did it, and the guys loved it. They, they're talking about when can we do that again. They actually had conversation. 
Second activity that turns hanging out into robust friendship is serving together. Okay, and this, this takes us back to Jesus and his buds in Mark chapter 3. Now, we've been considering this passage as if it's nothing more than an, ex an example of what Jesus can teach us about friendship, but there's actually much more to the story than that. It's, it's not just a you know, nice little anecdote about friendship. Jesus was on a mission, and so he was not merely looking for buds with whom to chill. He was looking for teammates with whom to serve. Look again at verse 14. Jesus appointed 12 that they might be with him. Now listen. And that he might send them out to preach, verse 15, and to have authority to drive out demons. Now we're not Jesus, okay? So we're, we're not recruiting followers to send out on a special mission. However, let me point out that friendship between Jesus and these guys was greatly intensified by the fact that they were committed to a common cause. They were serving side by side. And if we want to experience deep friendship with others while we're hanging out, out there's no better catalyst for that than serving. And if you're looking for a place to serve, we could provide you with plenty of opportunities to serve with other people that you could develop a friendship with. In fact, I would dare say that those of you across our four campuses who are best connected here, those of you who have the deepest friendships here, are those of you who've already rolled up your sleeves and you've gotten on some team to serve. You're serving on a Kids World team or in a parking team or on a second Saturday team going out to serve the poor or on a go team to Nicaragua or Czech Republic. Because that's where deep friendship happens. In fact, let me say to those of you who are in community groups, it's not too late to come up with a serving project for next weekend, Super Second Saturday. And if you'll do that as a community group, your, your friendship will grow exponentially within your group. You know, Bible studies are great to do together when you add to that serving. It's catalytic in terms of what happens in a friendship. And just so you know, this is not an infomercial for our ministries here at Christ Community. The same is true with friends that you want to make in the neighborhood or at work or at school. Find a project to do together. Find somebody to serve. Watch your friendship take off. Number three, third building block of friendship. Show interest. Show interest. I, I want you to turn to another Bible passage. This one is in Philippians chapter 2. So go to the right if you're in Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Stop there. Philippians 2. Our role model is still Jesus. Jesus demonstrates a third building block here for friendship. And that building block is an unselfish interest in other people and their concerns. An unselfish interest in other people and their concerns. We're going to pick up the text in Philippians 2 at verse 3. Let me say, friends, this has got to be like one of the top ten passages in, in the entire Bible. The, the verses I'm about to read to you are well worth memorizing. So verse 3, the Apostle Paul is writing. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, 
who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Paul's laying out this third building block of friendship. It's to show interest in others. You know, a ver- verse 4 is kind of a summary of that. Not looking strictly to our own interests, but also to the interests of the others. And then he cites an example, the example par excellence of this building block, Jesus Christ. At, at one point in time, Jesus is basking in the glory of heaven. But things are not going so well on earth. There's a problem. People who've been made in the image of God have chosen to go their own way instead of God's way. And that's a disaster. Because they've unplugged, they've disconnected from the giver of life. And when you do that, you die. And so people die. They die spiritually. They die physically. They die eternally if this problem isn't remedied. So so what does Jesus do? Does he say, well, it's not my problem. See, continue to bask in the glory of heaven? No, he puts his head together with the Father and they come up with a plan. And Jesus leaves heaven and he comes to earth as one of us. And he's obedient, Philippians says, to the point of death on a cross. See, he takes the death we deserve to die. The penalty for our sin is death. That's a huge problem. Jesus is so concerned about our concerns that he leaves heaven to come to earth and give his life on our behalf. And all those who surrender to him can be forgiven. They could be given a new life, which begins the moment you surrender to Christ. You begin this new life that stretches on into eternity. Jesus is the supreme example of this third building block of friendship show interest his interest in us his concern for our broken relationship with God his concern for the death penalty that was hanging over our heads took Jesus all the way to the cross something we're going to celebrate in just a few moments here as we take communion together you know in describing his love for us John 15 verse 13 Jesus said This is the second time I've quoted this verse in this sermon. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. That's what Jesus did. I mean, there there, there is no better friend than Jesus. There is no better friend than Jesus. Now, we may never have the opportunity to lay down our lives for a friend, But are we willing to show even a small portion of that same sort of interest in other people and their concerns? Because when we do, oh my goodness, that's like the rocket fuel of friendship. See, when people see that we are genuinely interested in them, how do we communicate that? By the questions we ask? by the helping hand we offer, by the encouragement we intentionally give, by the generosity we extend, their friendship with us just takes off. Read an interesting quote recently from Queen Victoria, the 19th century monarch of England, and she was asked to compare two men, two guys, both of whom had served as prime ministers during her long reign, one of them named William Gladstone and the other Benjamin Disraeli. 
And here's what the queen said. She said, uh, when I'm with Gladstone, uh, he makes me feel as if, as if he's one of the most important people in the world. She said, but when I'm with Disraeli, he makes me feel as if I'm one of the most important people in the world. Let me ask you the question, who would you want as a friend? <laughs> somebody who makes you feel as if they're really, really important? Or somebody who makes you feel as if you're really, really important to them? See, when we show genuine interest in others, it makes for a great friendship. I mean, thank Sam and Frodo, okay? I'm glad to see some recognition on your faces because I said this at the Saturday night service last night and I got blank stares. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, you don't know who Sam and Frodo are? I say, where have you been living? So we're talking Lord of the Rings. You've either read the books or you've seen the movies, right? Okay, and Frodo's given this mission. He's got to dispose of this magical ring. He's got to take it all the way to Mount Doom and destroy it or it'll fall into the hands of wicked enemies. And so he's determined he's going to go it alone. He doesn't want to jeopardize, put anybody else in harm's way. But Sam won't let him go on his own because Sam is committed to Frodo. And throughout the story, you know, Sam just has Frodo's interests at heart throughout, even when the slimy creature Gollum, remember Gollum? My precious. Okay. When he comes along and tries to to drive a wedge between Sam and Frodo by slandering Sam's character to Frodo. Sam just keeps on loving Frodo, keeps on devoted to Frodo and his concerns. Wow. Would you love a friend like Sam? I would. Are you a friend like Sam to others? So committed to their concerns. I mean, they just know that about you. That's number three, show interest. Number four, and this is the flip side now of showing interest in others. Number four is reveal yourself. Okay, this is the fourth building block of friendship. I want you to look at one last Bible text with me, and it's one that I've alluded to a couple of times already. It's John chapter 15, so uh, turn back right near the Gospel of Mark where we started is the Gospel of John. Turn to John 15. I've cited verse 13 twice. I'm going to read it a third time. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. This is Jesus speaking. Now I want you to drop down two verses to verse 15. Listen to what else Jesus says about friendship in this passage. He says, I no longer call you servants... Because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. I've called you friends. Now listen, for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. So th this is incredible, friends. We're, we're talking about the king of the universe, Jesus, who chooses not to behave like the rulers of, of ancient times who rarely took people into their confidences. I mean, if an ancient ruler spoke to you, it was strictly to give you a command. He would never condescend to share with you anything of a personal nature. He would never bear his soul. Ancient rulers didn't self-disclose. But then there's Jesus, king of the universe. And yes, he gives us commands to obey, but he doesn't treat us like groveling servants. No, he treats us like friends. How so? Look at the text again. 
like a best bud, he shares with us the intimate details of his life, his mission, his Father in heaven. Only a really, 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 really good friend self-reveals like this to others. Now, what, what can we learn from Jesus on this score? I mean, we, we don't have any cosmic insider information like Jesus had to share with other people. But here it is. Are, are we willing to open up with friends about what's going on inside of us? Okay, do, do we ever reveal our struggles? Do we ever let on? Do we, do we ever talk about our hopes and our aspirations? Do we ever share our anxieties, our, our fears? Because friendship doesn't grow in the soil of conversations that never get beyond the Cubs or the stock market or our vacation plans or the sale at Pottery Barn or what's trending or the grandkids. Do, do we ever self-disclose? Back to David Smith, the author of Men Without Friends, he says men are terrible at this. And he says it causes disastrous stress in their lives. He did a nine-year study of stress, and what he discovered, listen, listen to this now, he discovered that the amount of stress is not what wipes us out. What wipes us out is whether or not we have somebody, a friend, with whom to process what's going on in our lives. If we do, we stay healthy. If we don't, we implode. In fact, he, he says in his book, not having friends with whom we can process what's going on inside of us is as significant to mortality rates, listen to this, as smoking, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, obesity, or lack of exercise. We, we, we need friends, men and women alike, with whom we can open up and, and, and when we do open up with trusted people who can keep confidences, we're going to talk more about this next weekend in our friendship series. Because when, when you're selecting best buds, you, you don't want people who can't keep confidences. So that goes for your community group. If you're in a community group, I hope you're not blabbing what, what goes on in that community group with others. Or if you're a middle school, a high school student, and you've got some best Buds, the level of confidentiality allows, allows for trusted sharing. But when we do that, when we open up and we share what's really going on in the inside, it becomes the cement of our friendship. When was the last time you got that real with a friend or group of friends? Now today we, we have learned about four building blocks of friendship from Jesus Christ. You know, choose buds. Hang out, show interest, reveal yourself. But did you notice that we not only learned about friendship from Jesus, we also learned a lot about friendship with Jesus because Jesus, again, he's the role model for each of the four building blocks. He's the one who reaches out, takes the initiative to choose us, to draw us in. Okay, he's the one who invites us into fellowship, to hang out, to go on mission with him. He's the one who shows interest in our concerns to the point of dying the death we deserve to die on the cross in our place. You, you, you don't get any more than that in terms of a friend who's got your concerns at heart. And finally, he, he's revealed himself to us in his holy word. He's told us about himself and his heavenly father and his will for our lives. 
Has Jesus become your friend? Have you ever surrendered your life to Jesus as the Savior and the King of your life? That's when the friendship begins. And if you've begun that friendship, would you say it feels like a friendship these days? Or has friendship got, gotten crowded out with other things? Friendship with Jesus. In just a moment, we're going to begin communion at our four campuses. And I would encourage you to think about this uh, notion of friendship with Jesus as we celebrate communion. I'm going to ask the campus pastors at our other campuses right now to come up and introduce how we're doing communion just as I'll do that here in St. Charles.